Demir's Ambulances is one of the largest, most trusted ambulance design and manufacturers in the world, with a vision to build safe, reliable, and efficient emergency vehicles to assist paramedics in saving lives. Demir's manufactures Type 1, 2, and 3 emergency medical and fire ambulances that set the bar for quality, innovation, attention to detail, and rigorous testing. To find a Demir's Ambulance Dealer in your region, visit www.demirs-ambulances.com. Your partner on the road, every day, on every call. Hello and welcome to the EMS Improv Podcast, where we engage, we are mindful, and we share or tell our stories. I'm Eric Chase, and we are powered by GEMS. Today's guest is going to provide to us a great deal of actionable information and share personal stories as he has dealt with racism and how he has empowered and worked with organizations to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion within those organizations and others that he has been affiliated with. With over 34 years in law enforcement at the command staff level and the executive command staff, uh, I want to welcome to you today, Keith. I appreciate you being with us today, sir. Hey, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Eric. Appreciate you. What uh, what most impacts me today, and as, as we have been hearing things in the last couple of years, particularly in law enforcement and relationships, as you've had your tenure and as I've gotten to, to know your history, um, you're a humble, humble uh, man and also very transparent. And that is articulated by people that you've worked with, uh, city managers, uh, fire department members, uh, you know, fire chiefs of different agencies, uh, talk to you about being a humble person and transparent and addressing issues head on. And one of the issues that we still have concern with in fire, EMS, law enforcement, in our communities is hiring people that reflect the communities that we live in or not hiring the people that re reflect the communities we live in. Um, so if we can start there, and, and I know this is going to go deeper because we, we both have some things that I know you want to share. Right. Um, what can organizations do, kind of some meat and potatoes stuff, to improve uh, and resources for diversity, equity, and inclusion? And that's not just, hey, call me. I yeah. shouldn't be the person that you have to reach out to, right? Yeah, thank you for that question. The, the first thing is that you have to admit that you can do better. Uh, it's not a bad thing to say that your organization does not favor your community. It's not a bad thing to say, uh, especially in the public safety field, you know, we we do have the ability to uh, say that we want to hire, uh, have a more diverse uh, work um, uh, force. We can say that. Uh, we don't do that because we worry about the backlash from the internal um, members uh, that, uh, and what I've seen Eric, is that when you start talking about diversity, you have some people that completely shut down, even at the upper command level, because what they're hearing is or interpreting or the perception is that you're saying that they are racist or that they are anti-Black, um, anti-Hispanic, anti-Muslim, whomever. And that's not what you're saying. I think people get so stuck on diversity being specifically race or gender and it's not it's about various experiences and things like that but it is uh in 2023 <clears throat> we're still having reluctant there's still reluctancy to go out into the community uh go out into the the uh the uh, minority communities and say listen this is what we need uh in law enforcement 
in fire in the fire services. The federal government's doing it. Um, you, they are very uh, uh, hungry when it comes to uh, recruiting minorities. They're going to HBCUs. Uh, they are going to uh, police departments, and they they are associating themselves with Noble National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. Uh, the uh, Black Police Officers, so National Black Police Association, uh, the Hispanic Associations, uh, they um, police associations, and so they are realizing that there's a lot of talent out there when it comes to minorities that are being that's being missed. Local policing is reluctant to do that. Uh, they are, you know, so afraid that someone's going to be sued. Uh, it's it makes us look bad. Uh, it makes us look like we're going after people that, and I've even heard this, Eric, that if we go after minorities, then it's going to make it seem like that we're lowering our standards. I mean, that is what I've heard people say. Uh, that is disgrading. That's disheartening. Uh, it's just all right, wrong. And so um, one of the things that I did as a chief is I wanted to know the the first thing I did in, in, uh, in Norman and the first thing I did in Little Rock, uh, I wanted to know what were we what were we doing to hire minorities? And uh, I wanted to see what our force looked like. Did our force resemble our community? And if it didn't resemble our community, why? We had two HBCUs in the city of Little Rock. Uh, we're right next to a military base. Um, we have a major university in the, in the city. Um, and so what were we doing? Um, and 30 miles from Little Rock is an HBCU, um, uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff, University of Arkansas Pine Bluff. So the opportunities were there. You just have to admit it, that this is what we're doing. It doesn't mean you're a bad organization. It means that you're being proactive and you want to grow and you want to realize that so many people bring so many different things and so many valuable, invaluable things to an organization. We just have to admit that. Hearing that, and, and I've and I've seen some of the words that you've written uh, to other agency officials and in like Norman transcript and and, and other places, um, going to mosque. You, you, there was a massive. There's a major university, a, a world-renowned university in, in Norman, and why aren't some of these agencies reaching out to the diversity officers at these universities and the diversity staff? Because it's going to be because they feel they're going to be ridiculed. Um, you, you, you got to understand the history of the fire service and the history of, of, of police. Uh, they were white male dominated professions, uh, generations and generations of individuals working, uh, people getting into these organizations just based on who they knew, based on who they were. And so, and, and it's one of these things, if it's not broken, why try to fix it? Uh, nobody's ever questioned it. And so if no one ever questions it, why would you even make a attempt you know, I I was uh, when I got hired in Norman, I was the first outside chief and the first African American chief, black chief. I'm sorry, and you know Norman's history is sundown town, and and we had individuals. I had individuals that would approach me and say, you know, this is a a uh, uh, affirmative action hire, right? You know, and 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 so I found myself when I first got there, even with some of my command staff members. It was sort of like, yeah, he hired, he's hired, but what does he know? And so then when you start sitting down and you're talking about the things that you're doing and the things that you have done and what you've accomplished, 
And I always tell people, Eric, if you did it, it's not bragging. And sometimes people, but I will tell you that I really believe that African-American men and women, um, Hispanic men and women, Asian men and women, uh, Muslim, American, Muslim men and women, I do believe when they're in the positions, high positions like that, they have to work extra hard. They really do. We really have to work extra hard because everything we do is questioned. Um, there's always, there always has to be a motive behind it. Uh, we are not recognized a lot of times for our talents. Um, people see color and they can't get past that. For people that may be a little bit younger that are going to be listening to this podcast and, and that are aspiring to uh, management leadership positions, and, and we know that those two can be diametrically opposed uh, in, in many organizations, uh, you have been represented by members uh, of your own organization and the the cities that you've worked in as both being a manager and a leader of men and women. Uh, to To speak to them when talking about or affirming or validating their fears of aspirations because of race, gender, um, color, creed, orientation, what are some of the things that helped empower you? Who are some of the people that empowered you? Uh, and you're going to be one for them since yeah. I can't speak to that in any way, shape or form yeah. to give to yeah. them. You heard me earlier saying, uh, talking about my mom and dad, and, mm. and also in there, I need to talk about my grandfather. Um, I'm, I was born in West Dallas and uh, West Dallas, uh, the history of West Dallas is predominantly black at the time. Now it's, it's amazing how things have changed. When I grew up, uh, West Dallas was about 85 to 90% black. 10% Hispanic. Uh, it is now flipped. Uh, and so my grandfather uh, was one of was one of the first full-time employees at Dallas County, uh, the Dallas County Clerk's Office. And I used to, my grandfather commanded respect. Uh, when he walked in, he just had that presence. And he um, was well-respected by judges. And we're talking about in the 50s and 60s, well-respected by judges. Now, what they said behind his back, I don't know. But, he, but they listened to him. They went to him. My grandfather didn't have a high school education. He didn't go to college. He made sure his kids went to, went to college and grandkids went to college. But they would actually come to him about, you know, how to handle these things. What do you think about this? And what do you think about that? Um, and he was just straightforward. He was not afraid of anything. The only thing he feared was um, was God. That's the only person, only thing he feared, God. And 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 he never feared anything about his family because he knew he was going to always be able to provide for him. But one thing that I learned from him is strength. You can't give up. If you believe in something, if you're going to stand on something, um, then fight for it and and give it your all. And you can't ever take a job that you're afraid to lose for doing the right thing. And the higher you go in leadership, you're going to have less, you're going to, your, your friend, your, your amount of friends are going to um, become even more, they're going to decrease. Mm -hmm. But you always do the right thing. You always, you know, you you always do the right thing. Uh, you don't cut corners. Uh, you take the jobs that other people don't want so that you can learn and you can always learn from someone. And people have asked me, what do you mean? I say, well, you can always learn from that individual who doesn't have a good reputation. It, that person might be uh, most, one of the most unethical people in the world. 
then you have somebody who's a status quo person who just, you know, they're going to just do what they need to do to get by. Then you're going to have those individuals that are just good people who are going to help and they're going to do, and they're going to be productive. You can learn from each and every one of those individuals. You can learn from each and every one of those individuals. We don't, we don't. And so that's what I, I, I preach to young people. Never, never, whatever you do, never, um, sacrifice your integrity always 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 continue to fight it's not going to be easy and that's one of the things that we have a hard time realizing we want everything to be easy and i tell young people it's not going to be easy it is not going to be but stand on who you are be proud of who you are don't ever be afraid to tell people where you are that's one thing i'm going to tell people i'm keith humphrey i'm ashton and dark Humphrey's son i was born in west dallas I'm not going to just say Dallas. I'm going to provide specific because I want people to know where I came from. And then they ask questions relate. Okay. So what's significant about West Dallas? And then I tell them, this is what's significant about West Dallas, but just listening to people being humble, uh, have a mentor, have a, have, have time. Don't get caught up in this profession to the point that you, this is your life. And that's what happens a lot of times with, with, with people. Um, and so that's what I push to young men and women, learn as much as you can. It, thank you for that. That's an interesting juxtaposition too, with today's kids, youth, and I don't mean to, I mean, I'm, we're just, I'm just well over 50, uh, 55, and uh, you've obviously have a few years uh, on people as well. Did you just call me old? No, I don't even know if you're older than me. <laughs> <I'm just laughs> if I, I am just joking. But, but that, you know, that, that me first or everything right now kind of era that we've been through with the, the position that um, you had to dig in and fight and work and learn. Um, the, the, the two aren't congruent. So, you know, getting through that mindset or past that mindset that it's all going to happen tomorrow because I did something today, every day has to matter and, and has to have action in it. I am hearing you. Well, you know, Eric, every time, what I tell young men and young women is every day is a job interview. From the day you were born, you were in an interview. Uh, people are watching you, even people that you don't know. Uh, you can do, you can do the best that you can, and I and I and I always tell uh, young men and women that aspire to be, uh, you know, upper level supervisors. All you can do is your best. And when you go and you do a promotional assessment, the only thing you can do is your best. You you cannot. You have no control over who's selected, you, but you do have control over how well you perform. Um, and so always be the best. Leave, make the decision, make the decision makers have to earn their money. Mm. You know, don't leave anything on the table. Uh, don't assume that they understand what you're saying. Don't leave a meeting without comprehending everything that went down. If you have to ask somebody to repeat something twice, um, try to learn something new every day. Uh, get to know, you know, get to know everything. I'll tell you, <clears throat> my first chief's job, um, I was scared. I was scared to death. And no, you know what I was scared about? It wasn't about, it wasn't about leading people and taking on the responsibilities. It was about the budget mm. because you hear about the budget, the budget. But when you sit down, the budget is simple. 92% of a budget is personnel and, and, uh, and uh, benefits, you can't touch that as a as a chief or anyone. You can't touch that. That's city council or city manager or mayor. Okay, the other part of it is eight nine percent of it, ten percent of it is 
uh, maintenance and operations. You can touch that and you have to understand, you know, contracts and things like that. So I tell everyone who's aspiring, learn that process. Go to city council meetings, learn what they're talking about. Um, you can only, you, you, it can only make, but a lot of times, you know, people don't want to do that. Well, it takes time. I'm not telling you to go to every council meeting, pick one to go to, you know, so you can learn. You got to learn everything. You have to be a student of the profession and you can't be afraid to make a decision. Uh, you got to make the decision and you got to live with those decisions. And, and But if, you, if you're competent and you're well-versed, you're going to make the right decision. And if you don't make it, you're going to be able to explain why you did what you did. So with all that being said, and, and you talked about uh, a few minutes ago, mentoring and mentoring uh, from a Hispanic, Black, um, American, Asian American uh, background versus Anglo-Caucasian white background to somebody that doesn't look like me, uh, short of telling truths and, and being humil humble being relational versus just transactional. I'm going to do this for you. And I expect this back. Um, you've created uh, from every bit of information that I could have ever found about you, relational interactions with people uh, have looked to identify and verify and confirm conversations for your betterment as well as theirs. So you've created a two-way street versus a one-way street. But to be very specific in that mentoring, because I, again, can't speak to the young men and women uh, that are uh, achieving or trying to achieve these positions or the men or the women that are currently in these positions that don't look like me. What does mentoring mean? How can they do it differently, better? And some tools and tips that you've used and realized that speak to them and their, their, the color of their skin, their ethnicity, maybe their religiosity or spirituality that, that's different than, you know, 70 or 80% of the population that they're working with. So in order for someone to be a mentor and someone to be mentor, to mentored, to be a mentor and to be a mentee. First of all, you have to have strong faith, strong confidence, and you have to be humble. Those are the things that I tell anyone that asks uh, me to be their mentor. Um, and I, I sit down, I talk to them, you know, what what have you done? You know, what what's your what's your faith look like? Uh, what's your, um, how humble are you? And um, how confident are you? And I don't want to hear anything about arrogance. I don't want to hear anything about luck. I don't want to hear anything about that. I want to hear, you know, your confidence, you know, what's your faith, confidence. And I don't, I don't care what your denomination, religious domination is. I want to know that you do have faith, uh, that you, you know, you do believe in faith. But I have, I have honest and open conversations with anyone that I mentor about my history. They need to know me. They need to know how I achieve what I've achieved and I'm still trying to, I'm still climbing. So I've never, I, I've never stopped climbing. They have to know that you can't just, you can't mentor somebody from one at one level. So I can't just mentor someone um, to be just automatically be achieved. I have to go back and find out what they've done in law enforcement, or even if it's not law enforcement, what they've done in their profession to prepare themselves. And if they miss something, my responsibility as a mentor is kind of refresh that and say, well, did you try this? Why didn't you do this? This might be something that you need to do. Um, continual conversations, uh, nothing's off the table. Uh, you can't mentor someone and sugarcoat and um, you know just take bits and pieces of things. You have to lay things on the table. 
you have to explain the good and the bad. Uh, and, and that's one thing people don't do. Um, you have to let people vent. You have to allow people to, to fail or to make mistakes. And then this what did we learn. So it's all about being vulnerable. There's, there's a there's a there's a point of vulnerability there for the mentor and the mentee has to be vulnerable. Um, and that's not, you have to be honest with each other. Um, Noble has a chief mentoring program, a chief um, program, a program for um, executive command staff members who would like to be police chiefs. And it's a two year program. And you actually have to go and shadow um, someone uh, twice in that two years. Um, and, and, you know, and so when they come and my mentees would come to see me, Eric, I would make an appointment to go and see the city manager and I would make an appointment to go and see or the mayor and at least one or at least one or two department heads and, and let this, let my mentee ask questions. Um, you know, one of the biggest things I believe that has really helped is when a, when a, person who wants to be in an upper command level position, a chief's position, can sit down with a city manager and ask, what are you looking for in a chief candidate? You know, why did you hire uh, Chief Humphrey? What was it about him? You know, what would make you not hire somebody? I think that's it. That's it. And then giving someone access to you 24-7, you know, and answering the phone or answering or responding to emails when they call so for people uh, that don't know what the acronym NOBLE is, can you, can you let them know again what that is? Yeah, I can. National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. And uh, it is a uh, nearly 50-year-old organization that, has, uh, that was basically uh, founded because there wasn't an even playing field when it came to African Blacks and, and law enforcement. So you didn't see a lot of blacks in police chief positions, upper command staff positions, men and women. Uh, you didn't see a lot of black detectives. And so this organization, uh, Noble, um, helped up the playing field become a level in a lot of areas. Um, so it's um, it's a very prestigious, I mean, that ties to the White House, the DOJ, uh, Noble was at the table when uh, President Obama uh, authored the 21st Century Policing Initiative. Noble was at the table. Uh, Noble's been at the table on a lot of things. Uh, the George Floyd uh, murder, uh, a lot of uh, community issues, a lot of national issues. Noble has been at the table. Well, thank you for that. And, and interesting, uh, when people that don't that don't come from uh, an ethnic background that isn't black or or is Caucasian are going to have feelings just hearing those things. And, and I've read some of the things that you've said. And whether you agree or not, your job as a, as a command staff executive, as a chief, is, is to get them to have a better understanding of the history of things and then make their own determination uh, as to how they feel. You're not ever yeah. going to tell somebody how to feel, right? You can't. You can't. Uh, all you can you can provide information, and you can you can talk about how certain behaviors, uh, what the what the end results of certain behaviors are, and what the what the beliefs of certain communities are. But you can't make people change the, who they are. Uh, I'm a strong believer that that's a character flaw, and uh, 
you know, at some point that character flaw is going to raise this ugly, ugly head. The ones that I've heard, Eric, that have been more opposed to talking about diversity and talking about inclusion um, are the are the ones, some of the same ones who um, they're just unhappy. That, that no matter, it's not just they talk, they're against diversity, diversion, I'm sorry, diversity, equi uh, equity, and inclusion, it's they're against everything. A lot of these are unhappy, um, but this is just another topic for them to be unhappy about. Uh, it just seems it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the flavor of the day, and we're going we're gonna to be, we're going to talk about this all day, and we're going to put our unhappiness, because we're unhappy, we're going to all include that in this discussion. And we're not going to be open-minded. Uh, I'm telling you, I have never, I have not been to a department that has been receptive to cultural diversity, um, equity, and inclusion. Because the first thing that is heard, and you can, you can, the same thing I said earlier regarding diversity. It's not just about color, gender. It's about different backgrounds, various backgrounds various experience nobody hears that all they hear is you're saying that i'm a racist you're trying to force this on me because you're trying to force this on me you're saying i'm a racist that's not what was said <laughs> that's not what that's not exact that's not what was said but that's what the problem is uh, in law enforcement we have a difficult time getting past that people automatically uh, put their guards up, and I've even seen people walk out of classrooms. Uh, I've had to give a, a direct order that no one will walk out of a classroom when we're talking about certain topics or when they're in a training. You won't walk out of the restroom unless you have to go to the restroom or an emergency call. You don't have the right to just walk out because you don't agree with the topic. That my mind is exploding uh, and, and, my, <laughs> and my soul simultaneously is, is getting a little cringy, not because of the topic, but because of what I hear you experiencing and what I've seen from a different perspective and, and um, the inability or the unhappiness of people, the character flaw, if you will, that you shared, um, isn't even congruent with what science is and neuroplasticity and that we can change if we're working around the right people where positive traits and positive environment can overwhelm and exceed uh, outside of the negativity. And the negativity is then, you know, where we're shining the light in that darkness, so to speak, the darkness ends up leaving the environments unless the environment is led by darkness, uh, yeah. anger, frustration yeah. and, and putting their thumb on people, whether they be black, Hispanic, female, uh, or, or somebody that looks like them, but just doesn't believe like them. Eric, let me, let me say something also, because I want to clarify this. Um, there are uh, white officers, male and female, who have the same beliefs that you do, the same beliefs that I do regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion. They, they they stand up and they say, but they're chastised and they're isolated. Um, they are, uh, they don't get positions. Um, they are ridiculed to the point that some will resign. Uh, they just, you know, and so, 
And then there, then there are those that might that feel that way, but they're going to conform because they don't want to be ostracized or they don't want to be an outcast. That's that's the things that that, that go on in, in, in public safety, uh, especially now the climate of the nation. Um, a lot of officers' true feelings have been exposed and um, people know who they are but they still um, allow people to say these things, allow those officers to say the things that they do and do the things that they do because they want to get along. They don't want to, you know, oh, well, he's really not a bad person. Well, you know, if somebody kills somebody, uh, you know, they choke somebody, uh, they are a bad person. I mean, if somebody kills someone on national TV in front of millions of people uh, in a nine over a nine-minute period, they're a bad person. Uh, if a person is 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 uh, planning um, contraband on people, they're a bad person. Uh, if a person is using racial slurs, they're a bad person. Uh, we just got to accept that, and we not accept it, but we just got to realize that, and 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 then separate ourselves. Um, do you know what the uh, the 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 police and the public safety sectors? do not effectively use our probationary periods. Mm-hmm. We we know there's a problem in the academy. We know there's a problem in field training. And we, we don't do anything. And the probationary period is one of the most minimally, minimally used processes uh, that could be effective. Uh, and if it was used properly, we wouldn't have some of the problems that we're seeing now in, in the profession but we don't use the probationary period um, the way we should. It's, it's interesting to hear you say that and bells and whistles should be going off to leaders and managers and people that aspire to those positions that are hearing Keith's words. Let me say something else too. So, you know, people have said, well, you know, what, what, um, man, what do you, what do we need to make things better? The processes are there. The, the probationary process, the hire, there's a there's there's multi-step hiring process, the probationary process, early intervention programs are there. Um, you know, uh, uh, final, you know, um, there, there's so many things there that are already in place. So it's not necessarily you need the resources. It's just that then you have to start looking at the individual because the resources are there. If they're used properly, they're there. Wellness programs, crisis intervention, all those programs are there to, 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 to help people be better uh, individuals in this profession. We don't use any of those. Um, wow. Uh, yes, 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 yes. I, I have thousands of questions. And, and <laughs> Go ahead. Coming back to uh, your point where we're not using them effectively in an EMS specifically, and, and I don't see this in the fire or law enforcement worlds or entities where they're actually, uh, you know, having because of this stringent hiring process in those compared to EMS, where if you have a patch, you're getting hired, um, regardless of background, uh, uh, goodness or otherwise. Um, so that that's one thing that's that's strikingly dissimilar from the EMS field that's uh, private owned or for profit or not for profit or hospital based. We need people to get people from here to here. Um, 
you guys do in law enforcement and the fire service a much more stringent process, which we're still not using the services and systems in place to meet out these individuals that aren't going to be what we truly need unless we're a leader that only sees that person is a, a chess piece to promote their desires for power and control in, 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 and they're acting as if they're uh, acting in impunity, like nobody can touch them. And I want to get to a few specific things here in a minute, if you're okay with that. And I think you know where we're both going. Absolutely. Interestingly enough, um, it, it's uh, Women's History Month. We, we just come off the back of uh, Black History Month. And one of my favorite quotes, and I shared, I had a really powerful uh, female on the podcast last week. She just got posted today. But she said, you know what, Eric, our group is exclusive. Exclusivity is okay because women, I as women in our group of 4,000 women can speak to the problems, the issues, the concerns of the women. We want uh, allies. We want people to support us. We need people of all ethnic backgrounds and gender identities to, to you know, really be an ally to us. But when it comes time to where the rubber meets the road, you can't speak to this concern, nor should you have a voice in their dealings. Now, if they come to you for your input or advice, that's a perspective, but not a decision point. Um, so I thought that was very powerful. But Absolutely. one of my most famous or favorite quotes that, that I've recently come about is, uh, and I, I have it here, I just have to get it, and I apologize. It's uh, Shirley Chisholm, and, and I believe uh, you know who this wonderful woman was. Um, if I want, she goes, she said, I want to be remembered as a woman who dared to be a catalyst of change. If you don't know that she's black, how could anybody not want to ascribe to that unless you have a divergent thought process about her color of her skin? Because if anyone said that, that looked and sounded like you, you would be all over that. I'm not talking about you, Keith. Yeah, but, I know what you know. But I people that are actually going, no, I can't do that. Because again, it makes people uncomfortable what they don't know, aren't willing to understand. And for you to do deep dives and get to know people relationally, that's leadership and management. And I want to say thank you for sharing that. And I'll shut oh, up. Oh, it's, it's, I appreciate that. That means, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very humble about it. Thank you so much. I, I, um, um, that's just who I am. And, uh, you know, I told you about my grandfather, that was him. He tried to get to know everybody as much as he, you know, as much as he could about in individuals. Uh, you can't run a police department without knowing, or any organization, without knowing something about the individuals who are out here carrying out, um, you, you know, your mission. Uh, you, you've got to get to know people. And you can't do that by sitting in your office. Mm. Um, my last job, I had executive command staff members that would chastise me because I would go to lunch with line officers and civilians um, and sit down and talk with them. Uh, they felt slighted because I wouldn't, I wasn't going to hang out with my executive command staff every day or go out with them after hours or sit in the office and, and talk about individuals and things like that. I mean, we met on a regular basis. We had, you know, professional conversations, but I wanted to know what made the, the line officers tick, you know, what, what were they thinking? Because that's where you're going to get the truth about, you know, your policies and procedures and what they thought about the organization and why they thought the way that they did. 
So management by walking around and being engaged. MBWA. Mm -hmm. A a wonderful perspective. Um, Because of your willingness and we've, and we've talked about issues uh, you have also read. And I know that you're aware that there's impending uh, information to be reported on by uh, media outlets within the city you used to work in. And, and you have been an advocate for change and a voice of reason and a voice of diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, both not only for the community and citizens of Norman when you were there and, and Little Rock there, um, but Norman specifically, what is, and, and these are your words, uh, and you know that I'm in receipt of w- what I'm talking about, yeah. a, a white male privilege mentality. Can you speak to that and, and how you had to help address um, a, a person that held the same position as you in a different organization in Norman at the time? Well, I think uh, when you think one way and um, you're not, your eyes are not open or your ears are not open to the fact that you're not the only, um, you know, your your culture, your ethnicity is not the only one that exists. And when you look around and you see that um, everybody in the organization looks like you um, and that's okay with you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're not asking the questions in a university town, the university's diverse, not as diverse as it could be, but it's diverse. Man, why do I have, in the history of this organization, there's only been four or five African-Americans, no Hispanics, and one female. If you don't think that's a problem, then you think your way of thinking and the, the, the good old boy system is okay. Because nobody's complaining. Well, of course, nobody's complaining. You, you, you're not putting yourself in a position where you're, the reason nobody's complaining is because you're not listening and you're not going and asking people's opinion. Um, when you believe that um, a person who looks doesn't look like you should not be a part of executive command staff meetings, even though that person is on that same level as your deputy chief, that's a problem. That's a problem. Uh, when you, when someone comes and tells you, I think this is where this will seal whatever your question is, what the question is that you ask. Um, when you have someone that comes to you and says, hey, you know, you you are new in this position. Uh, there are members of the minority community that are concerned regarding the makeup of this organization. And they would like to sit down and talk with you about your plans and um, some of those individuals that like to talk to you are uh, members of the LGBTQ community, African and black community, Hispanic community, Muslim community, Asian community, um, you know, just various communities and also some of the student government members from the university would just like to talk to you because there's a lot of kids, maybe they want to be, they want to be policemen, but they want to be fired. They want to see what you have to offer. Mm-hmm. and they would like to meet with you and I can facilitate that and you're t- and the first thing out of this person's mouth is well you tell those colored I mean uh tell those individuals wait okay uh, can can you repeat that again yeah please well you tell those yeah you tell those colored I mean uh those 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 people that uh I don't if they want to meet with me uh they have to make an appointment 
And um, I, you know, I don't, I don't see a need to talk with anyone regarding the way that this organization recruits. Excuse me, what did you say? Well, of course, they wouldn't repeat the color part. They cut that off real quick. But it was sort of, it was, I'm not going to meet with them because they don't need to know what we're doing inside the organization. That was, I got upset. Mm -hmm. Because basically you're saying that these people do not, uh, they don't, they're, they're not important enough for you to meet with. Um, and the only reason that you're meeting with me is because I'm we're we're peers. That's the only reason you meet with me. I could be a part of that group that wanted to meet. You wouldn't meet with me if I wasn't in my position. If I'm, you wouldn't meet with me if I was part of that group and if I wasn't who I was, who I am. You know, and and when we talked about um, you know talk about diversity, well, why should we we talk about that? I said, well, that's one of the questions. Well, well, this person brought me a picture. And it was a picture of a white firefighter holding a, a black baby. And, and, this, and this chief executive officer said, if anybody wants to question our efforts to strengthen diversity, you need to show them this picture because this is what diversity is all about. So, so you got a firefighter holding a black child a white firefighter in bunker gear holding a white a black child and that's diversity I said no that's their job mm -hmm. their, their job is to save you don't stage that you know what you don't stage that and then make it seem as though oh we're diverse we believe in equality and, and inclusion because we got a white firefighter holding a black baby this is coming from a chief executive. Um, those are the type of things that I think people need to know that happened, uh, that happened in the norm in Norman. And um, um, you know, I do believe that because I was questioned on everything in the city of Norman, anything with police, I was questioned. But this this person was not questioned. And I do believe in, in some of those instances, Eric, is because of what I look like and versus what he looked like. Um, I do believe that um, uh, because some of the things that, that you all are finding out aren't new. Some of these things I brought up to uh, the former city manager. Um, Can you speak to what me. some of those things are that we found out that, that you've spoken previously to previous city managers about? Um, that the, uh, the unit within the fire department that had the largest number of minorities. And when we talk about minorities, we were talking about uh, a black uh, fire marshal, uh, two black majors, uh, a native American major and a white major, which was, which, which would have been most, the most diverse group inside the police, inside the fire department uh, being bullied, uh, threats of having their weapons taken from them. Uh, not wanting their weapons um, taken out when they went on scenes of investigations. Uh, they're peace officers. They're certified peace officers. They're investigators. They have to have their weapons because they're dealing with criminals. 
Um, why would you want to take their weapons? Uh, let's talk about, you know, Chief, what, you know, have you ever thought about not carrying these guys' commission? And the police department, we carried those guys' commission because they, they went through the police academy, but someone had to carry their commission in order for them to carry guns. I did that. I carry, I carry their commission. It's, uh, the Norman Police Department carried their commission. Uh, wanting their commissions um, taken. Uh, not sending those guys on training. Um, not inviting, not coming out talking to those guys. Um, and just the things that were uh, not being given, those guys not being given a fair shot. Things that were said to them when they got out, when they, when they would go out on scenes. Um you know, just not communicating with the, the fire marshal, who is an amazingly smart guy. Um, a guy that really should have been the fire chief, uh, a person that did amazing in the interviews for the fire chief's position. But was when I said that I did not think that the person who was selected was ready for the job, I was told that he was a project and he felt that the city manager at that time felt that he could uh, mold him into what he wanted him to be. And that Fred was too black and white when it came to the fire laws. And Fred was causing the city to lose business because he was holding people accountable for certain things that they were required to do. Mm. That is wrong. Um, I'll give you another example. When they went through the process for fire chief, um, Fred, um, they were given, the current fire chief was given an opportunity to be the acting fire chief while the other fire chief was out of town. They should have split those duties. Whenever I would be out of town, if I was, if I was going to be gone for two weeks, it was very clear that I would have someone be the acting chief for one week and then someone else the next week to give everybody a fair opportunity. Um, Fred wasn't given that opportunity. <clears throat> Fred was never taken to council meetings or anything. When this individual who's the fire chief now was going through the process, he was taken to council meetings and study sessions to, to, to learn the process. Fred was left out. I asked the deputy fire chief one day, I said, why isn't Fred? Fred should be at those meetings. You should be inviting Fred to those meetings. Yeah, I probably should, but I didn't. I mean, that's kind of stuff. I say, so do you think that's fair that Fred and the one who was selected for fire chief, do you think that's fair that they're going through the process and you're taking one or other? Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, this, this guy's young and, you know, he's got a future here. You know, I'm like, but that's not fair. Well, that's the way I see it. Those are the kind of things. And who was um, the individual that said that? It was the, it was at that time, it was a deputy fire chief. Okay. And we all know yeah. who that is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. At that time. Now, not the current deputy chief, but right. the, yeah. And so, um, you know, those are the kind of things that, um, that happen. you know, that, that I know for a fact, other things uh, that I heard, uh, you know, just those guys not being represented by the fire union. Uh, being told that you know they're not real firefighters, uh, they you know they didn't they didn't work to get the rank of major. Uh, why why should we respect? Though so, I mean those are the type of things. But I think the bullying and just the things. And I was privy, and I think what a lot I think what the current fire chief is not aware of. 
I was in the office with um, with Fred uh, a lot of times in the phone I could in the on speaker and some of the things that he was saying to Fred, some of the ways that he was saying things. Um, and then he would come back and say that those conversations never happened. And I'm sitting there listening to the conversations. So, I mean, that, that's the kind of, but the bullying and the intimidation that I saw uh, as a fire chief, when I, as the police chief and, and trying to talk with this man was just uh, impossible. Um, narcissistic, very narcissistic and, I told him one day, you're not going to talk down to me. I'm not one of your firefighters. <laughs> you know? But but those are the things that, and I do believe, Eric, that those of because of who Fred, what Fred looked like. I also and, do believe. Fred, Fred had the color of skin, not like mine, Caucasian. Absolutely, yes. Okay. And, and I do believe that. Uh, the, the former city manager, not the current city manager. I, I don't, I, I don't know the current city manager, but the, the 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 former city manager empowered the current fire chief and the fire department to um, do the things that they did uh, and didn't hold anybody accountable. I told him that that I felt that uh, the fire chief was a racist and gave him examples. So you don't call black people colored. Uh, you don't say that. That if they, if those people want to come meet with want to meet, they need to come to me. You don't you don't say stuff like that. The way he was treating Fred and things like you don't say things like that. So I made it very clear. It wasn't I had no problem telling the city manager that I thought he was a racist, and at some point he was going to cause the city uh, a lawsuit. Interestingly enough, as uh, stories have been coming out about uh, potential or possible allegations of fraud with ISO ratings for insurance, um, allegations of uh, walls of shame within the department, which have been confirmed and validated by uh, current city council members, both re recently elected and prior elected, and members both current and uh, prior on, on the fire department. The uh, city uh, has just come to my attention, has put out a memo supporting that fire chief uh, in, in and, and I know literally we're talking about on the heels of articles uh, that local uh, um, organizations, news organizations, media organizations are going to be also coming out with further information uh, that we have. We didn't initially identify the department and um, we didn't we, we wanted it to be a lesson. Right. My, my editor said, no, we're not going to name names. We're not going to even name the department. And, and we've seen people that are easily identifiable to the department now trying to defend what happened or low-key even confirming what happened, but that's been taken care of. Uh, and, and the union hasn't even spoken out. And, and you being a chief that has witnessed this behavior and have had attempts to change, create, be a catalyst for change, creating an atmosphere and being a mentor to a mentee that was not receptive to you, that was in a command staff level, these are all the red flags that uh, we're not watching and looking at. So how beholden then are people that are inside this city that you know intimately well to this infrastructure that has been so catechismic, I won't even try to say that, so egregiously now reported on and, and people within the organization currently saying that there are so many things being done wrong, people are being mistreated, uh, 
overt or or low-key racism um, and, and all these other things that have been happening how what are your opinions or feelings about this i think that you can mistreat a person so long and i think at some point they're going to separate themselves and at some point they're going to tell the truth um whether whether it's based on you about this based on some type of discipline and they, they feel like they're going to get back at you at some point there are going to be some people that have had enough. There are going to be some people that are going to be willing to come out and tell the truth. Um, uh, and, and you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of sad that they don't do it initially, because if they would do it sooner than later, a lot of these things can be uh, prevented or, or nipped in the bud. But what I will tell you about the fire service, and this is just, you know, I'm not a firefighter by no means, but what I will tell you Eric, is that everybody loves a firefighter yep every you know the fire so when you look at public safety there's the angel and the devil law enforcement's the devil the firefighters are so nobody a fire department can stay low-key fly under the radar for so long because everybody loves them that's not happening man those guys live together they eat together they're all in the truck together nobody sees that they're not they're not as visible as we are in law enforcement so there's a lot of things that they can get away with for years because they've been under the radar. Nobody, nobody, nobody dislikes a firefighter. Nobody. And then you have individuals that aren't going to come out and say anything because they are afraid. And then you have some people that are not going to say anything because it doesn't affect them. Well, I, I'm going to, I beg to differ with you. When, when one person or two per people are being picked on, it does affect the entire organization in some way. It's going to affect you in some way. Being number one, it's going to make national news, and now the whole fire department or the whole organization is being embarrassed or called out. That's that's but that's the thing about the public safety aspect of the firefighters. Fire, firefighters fly under the radar. They're the they're the ones that put out the fires and save the babies. We're the ones that take people's freedom, and you know, put people in jail and go in people's homes. So they do get a pass sometimes. That's just facts. That's um, so understanding that. Yes. So in looking at what was just sent to me, and this is breaking news on the EMS Improv podcast while I'm having a conversation with uh, Keith, is that the city uh, of Norman is is standing firmly uh, behind uh, the current chief. It uh, there has been. Uh, confirmation of a wall of shame that was in their department by, like I said, current city manager, or not city manager, um, current city council members uh, and, and others on the department currently, as well as uh, left the department for various reasons, mostly mental health related. Um, there's nothing specifically said about the wall of shame, but they were addressing specifically the ISO rating where there was allegations only, and, and we have no information to, to, to allege or assert otherwise, other than the documentation that we've been given by droves of people inside the organization that sure. may indicate that there was or has been uh, some shenanigans, if you will. Uh, but that isn't empirical. It's not anything that would have weight or gravity that you would see or need in law enforcement right. or for any other investigation. With that being said, um, we're kind of getting uh, beyond, and I appreciate you going there because you had these experiences. Yeah. If it's good with you and bringing it kind of full circle, if you would be gracious enough, as you have been gracious enough as well, 
to kind of bring us back to the true intent and in, in measure and in, in of what you've shared from a, a standpoint of diversity, equity, inclusion, um, kind of encapsulate it. And we've been talking about an hour. Hopefully I've been listening more than talking um, to bring the point home that as a black man, as a chief executive uh, holding uh, that position, being on different committees and organizations like Noble um, and, and using your platform with humility, grace, integrity, transparency, um, kind of give our listeners some of your last pearls of wisdom and kind of tie this all together for us, if you would. Yeah, the the, the situation, the, the, the answer is really simple. Be honest and have those discussions. Um, somebody's got to start them. It, you know, it shouldn't be an African-American chief or fire chief that has to start the discussions regarding uh, diversity, uh, inclusion, and equity. It shouldn't be. It should be anyone in the position that can make change should be starting those conversations. Uh, you don't take a job that you're not afraid, that you're afraid to lose. Uh, if, if, you, if, you, if you're the man or the woman that you say you are, you run an organization, the same things that you say in the interview process, in the community meetings, it, those words have to be put into actions when, you, when you're sworn in. We, we say things because we want the job. When we get the job, we won't carry out those things that we said. We have to do that. We have to get beyond. This is 2023. We have to get, we have to realize in order for us to change, we've got to admit our history. We've got to know our history and we've got to say we're not going back there. We've got to start holding our elected officials higher, you know, to a high, hold them accountable for the actions of our police chiefs and our, uh, our fire chiefs and, and others department heads because at the end of the day those people are speaking for the, the taxpayers and if you see something you've got to say something you know people won't say anything Eric that's the biggest problem you've got to say something you know even if it's unpopular you know in my in my last job I said stuff you know I, I made it I called out I walked into a meeting one day and you had black officers on one side and white officers on the other side. And it was right before, it was right during the George Floyd riots. And I made it very clear that I walked into a segregated room. I never said anything about racism. I said a segregated room and I'm disturbed to see black officers here, white officers here, and we're going out here to have each other's backs. You gotta say things like that. Um, you can't be afraid, and we don't have enough people that are stand up and say the things that need to be said and do the things that need to be done. We say them during the processes, but we don't say it while we're in the jobs, and we've got to start doing that. We've got to, we've got to stop being scared to say the right things and do the right things. Well, so hearing that, I do have to, to – this is breaking. I just received this uh, from that chief. Uh, in 2020 June, it has been brought to my attention that there was a wall of shame at Station One that had former employees' uniforms hanging on it. This falls below the level of professionalism that I expect at the Norman Fire Department. Please do not allow such things to be tolerated. Thank you. And that chief signed it. Um, so that is, uh, it, it appears to be authenticated and has 
plenty of people in the in the subject was professionalism. So with that being said, um, I, I that's, think that's one of those, Eric, that you say it because you have to say it, but you don't necessarily mean what you say. And and I can't speak to that. And I appreciate you saying that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm also grateful to have your insight and invaluable uh, thought process, humility and, and presentation to share with our listeners. Um, you have a podcast. Would you like to share what that is or not? It's up to you. Oh, me. I'm fine, man. It's Yeah, we have a podcast. Me and my very dear friend, Chief Virgil Green, uh, who um, I met in Oklahoma. He was the chief in Oklahoma. Uh, we have a podcast called You and the Law. Uh, it comes on every Thursday, 6 o'clock Central. And we talk, we're real. We keep it real uh, about the issues involving the community and law enforcement. Uh, we talk about issues related to minority chiefs and the, and the minority communities. And we talk about police departments. We don't make it just a black, and it's not a black and white issue. We talk about the facts um, and, and we and we listen to the concerns. Uh, we don't defend, Eric. One thing we don't do, we don't defend our profession when we're wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we, we talk about mentoring and we have guests, you know, this is uh Women's History Month, and, and we had uh, two amazing uh, female leaders last week, uh, and then we we got another female leader coming on tonight, and we'll end up next week with uh, two more female leaders. But um, I would love to see you. Uh, I tell you what, man, we, we're gonna get you on. That would be fantastic. Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna we're gonna get you on here in the, in the very near future. Um, but yeah, it's good Wednesday. We've been doing it for three years. And, uh, you know, just uh, me, and, me, and, me and Virgil are really good friends and, and we both share some of the same experiences. And, you know, we can both talk about our time in, in, in Oklahoma when there were chiefs. We'd go to the Oklahoma Chiefs Association meeting and we had chiefs that wouldn't even shake our hands. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it is what it is, man. Well, your, your spirit is uh, beyond what, what I could have expected in, in sharing time with you today. I look forward to further conversations with you as well. Absolutely, man. And uh, just uh, let's keep in touch. Absolutely. So, ladies right. and gentlemen, uh, we've been uh, uh, talking today with Keith, uh, a position, uh, a gentleman of uh, humility, yet power, quiet power and influence. Uh, I, I hope you continue to be the catalyst for change that you would desire to see. This is the EMS Improv Podcast, where we engage, where we are mindful. We share our killer stories. And we heard a few earth-shattering and, 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 and several amazing stories today from Keith. Uh, we are powered by GEMS, and I want to thank you again, sir, very much. Man, pleasure, man. Thank you so much, man. And um, take care of yourself. You as well. Talk to you All soon. right.